Come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Amen. And I want to thank you uh, to our, thank our worship team this morning for leading us in worship and thank Miss Elizabeth Jones for uh, that special music. It was timely and uh, man, what a way to uh, spend time uh, giving glory to God. Well, it's that time of year and uh, some of us still have a lot to do. Uh, just the other day, I know uh, Leah and I were on our way to a Christmas party and I started thinking about all the things that I needed to do, all the things that I kind of wished I had already done to get ready for Christmas, you know. Uh, FYI, if you don't get a Christmas card from us this year, it's because we didn't have any made. Uh, we just got busy. Uh, things just got busy and, uh, and, you know, sometimes things slip through the cracks when, when life happens. You know, we've been dealing, uh, some of you have heard we dealt with a, a, with a car breaking down on us a couple weeks ago. We've got it fixed. Everything's fine, but that took a few extra minutes, uh, a few extra hours to deal with, actually a few extra days uh, to deal with. Uh, and so, you know, uh, uh, life just happens at times. Uh, but, you know, Christmas is a very special time of year. Uh, as much as I, I love to send out Christmas cards, I, I didn't want to be like the lady who, uh, who, who waited to the last minute to send out her Christmas cards and and uh, she, was, she didn't get them made, you know, a lot of folks go get them made at Walgreens or something now. And she just went to the store and bought a box of cards, just good old-fashioned cards, you know. And, and uh, she had 49 people on her list. And, and so she went to the store, there was a box of 50, so she got the box of 50. She took them home, she was in a hurry, everything was last minute, wanted to get them in the mail so they would get to everybody before Christmas. And so she filled out the addresses and she sent the cards out and... Boy, she was happy she got that monkey off her back. And so, uh, so she got all that done, and Christmas came, and, you know, Christmas morning came and went. And later on that day, she was sitting around. Everything was done. Everything was kind of quiet. And, and she, uh, she saw that extra card that she had left over in the box, and she opened it up, and, and she was pretty surprised when uh, she read the card that she had sent to all 49 of her friends that said this. The card read, this card is just to say that a little gift is on the way. <laughs> you get in a hurry, you can mess things up, right? Uh, but you know, the message of Christmas is not that there is a gift that is on the way. The message of Christmas is that there has been a gift that has been delivered. And the gift of Jesus was and is uh, the most valuable and significant gift ever given. Now we say that at Christmas time, but but you know that that begs the question of why. I mean, why is Jesus so significant? Why is this holiday Christmas that is now celebrated all over the world, which is a celebration of Jesus's birth, why is it so important? In, in fact, the name of the holiday is Christmas, right? Christ Christmas. It means Christ Worship. Why is this such a big deal? Why are we called to worship Christ on this day? And, and so we're going to be back in Luke 2 this morning and we're going to read a, a passage we've already read the last few weeks. Uh, we're going to read verses 8 through 11, but really I want you to see this passage in context, but yet we're really going to zoom in on verse 11 and uh, as we see some of what is shown here is the significance of Christmas. And so uh, Luke chapter 2, 
starting in verse 8. This morning, although I don't normally do this, this morning for this passage, I'll read out of uh, the, the King James. Luke chapter 2, starting verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you this day in the city of David, a Savior is born, which is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the record and the message that is the birth of Jesus that is recorded in Scripture for us right here. And Father, we just pray that as we, as, as we really zoom in on verse 11 this morning, that you would help us to see the significance of Christmas. God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Jesus that was born on that first Christmas day in Bethlehem, Judea, was significant, number one, because Jesus is a Savior. Jesus is a Savior. Luke 19 tells us that Jesus has come. Jesus says himself, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. And when the angel showed up to, uh, to, to Joseph, we talked about a few weeks ago, when Mary turns up pregnant and she presents herself to Joseph and says, I have not been unfaithful to you. And what is in my womb is, is, is of the Lord. And Joseph did not know what to make of that. And so God sends an angel to Joseph to confirm in his heart that what Mary is telling him is the truth. And, and, uh, and, and when the angel comes to Joseph to confirm to him the immaculate conception of the baby that is in the womb of Mary, he says, Joseph, while he thought on these things, an angel appeared to him in a dream, saying, Now, son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And so when the angel shows up to the shepherds to proclaim the birth of the Messiah, of the Savior, which is Jesus, the angel calls him a Savior. It's amazing. Jesus is a Savior. That's why he's so significant. If you, uh, if you go back to Luke 1 and you, and you read verses 68 and 69, you see the, the account of Zechariah who is giving praise about the Messiah. He says a few things about the Messiah and about the Savior. He says in verse 68, he says, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. In verse 69, he says, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of Israel, the house of his servant David. Do you notice that term that he uses in verse 69? Zechariah calls Jesus a horn of salvation. Now, I think we all understand that that means that he's supposed to be a savior, but, but if you've ever wondered what he was actually referring to as a horn of salvation. What in the world is a horn of salvation? Well, in the Old Testament, 
in the tabernacle and in the temple, uh, when you would walk into the gate and you would walk through the courtyard for a little ways, if you, once you got on in the complex a little ways, there was an altar. This was an altar of sacrifice. This is where the priests would meet with everyday common people. And it was really, it was in the, it was in the uh, temple, but it was still kind of out in front of everybody. So if you were in the temple, you saw this, but, but the altar was square and, and you know, they had a place where they could burn things. They would offer these sacrifices, but on each one of the corners of the square altar was that were these little things they called the horns, little protruded out. Each one of them kind of protruded out on each one of the corners. And, and when the priest would offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people, one of the things that he would do out there in that particular sacrifice is he would sprinkle the blood on the horns and the blood of the sacrifice on the horns. And so this is something that the people saw all the time. But this is a different sacrifice. This is not the sacrifice where the priest goes into the Holy of Holies, you know, one day a year. This is different. This is a more common thing. Everybody saw this. If you were in the temple, it was part of their worship. And so because of that, the horn of, of the altar, it was called the horn of salvation, became synonymous with the people of Israel for God's forgiveness of sin. It was a symbol of salvation. And in fact, uh, the, the, the horn of salvation was a place of sanctuary for a fugitive. If they could get to the altar and get to the horn. Uh, maybe in today's culture you have heard of something called a sanctuary city. Where somebody who maybe has come here Ill illegally can go to that city. And, and the crime of, of, of coming here illegally is just kind of overlooked. They just kind of look the other way. And sort of pretend like it, it didn't happen, and, and they don't really uh, they don't really get in trouble for that, not for that particular thing. Well, that was very similar to what a horn of salvation was. And so, in fact, if you if you read um, in First uh, Kings chapter one, you see that there was a, a a person who had committed a great crime against uh, against the crown and against uh, Israel as a whole. He had really committed treason. He was in bad trouble. Uh, he, he was, his crime was punishable by death. And he was being pursued by government officials who were seeking justly to arrest him. Uh, and he, he ran from them. And before they could get to him, he ran into the temple. He ran over to the altar. And he grabbed one of those horns of salvation. He began to, he began to repent. And he began to ask for forgiveness and plead for his life. And uh, if you read that, you'll see that, uh, that, that in fact his crimes were, at that point, his crimes were forgiven. And he was given a second chance because he made it to the horn of salvation. Friends, I don't know where you have been and I don't know what you have done, but you need to understand this morning. As we celebrate Christmas this week, you need to understand that Jesus is the horn of salvation. And in him there is forgiveness of sin. And in him there is a future for you. You might say, well, Pastor, that sounds good, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know my past. In fact, you don't even know where I am right now, spiritually. You just don't understand. Well, 
you know what, you're right. I don't understand. I don't know what you've done. But Jesus does. God knows what it is. And he offers to you salvation. He offers to you, and he has given unto man that first Christmas day, a horn of salvation. Are you lost in sin? Are you being chased by the sins of your past? Then run to the altar and grab a hold of the horn of salvation that is Jesus. Scripture tells us that you can receive forgiveness of sins if you're willing to genuinely call upon his name. Psalm 18 says, the psalmist says, I love you, Lord. He says, you're my strength. In verse 2, he says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock where I seek refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Verse 3, I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I was saved from my enemies. Maybe this morning there's someone that needs to call to the Lord this Christmas season. See, salvation is available to any and to all who will call out to God with a heart of repentance and faith in Christ. He will be the horn of your salvation if you will run to him, grab hold of him, and call upon him today. See, the gift of God born in the manger that Christmas day was significant because Jesus is the Savior. But it's also significant because he is supremely triumphant. He is supremely triumphant. Old Testament prophecies uh, told of a coming Messiah who would liberate Israel from its enemy. You remember in, 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 in Luke 2.11, the proclamation to the shepherds, unto you this day, the city of David is born unto you a Savior. And it, then it says, he is Christ the Lord. The, the word Christ is a significant word in, uh, in, in, in first century Roman and Greek culture in that language. And here's why. Because the Old Testament told about a Messiah. It used the Hebrew word that translates Messiah. And that is, that is the one who would come to redeem Israel. That was the one who would come to, uh, uh, to defeat the enemies of God and the enemy of Israel. But see, the, the Greeks didn't have a word for that. So they used a word that they had that, that, uh, that, that is the word Christo. That's where we get the word Christ. The word Christo means anointed. And so literally translated, it means anointed one. Jesus is God's Messiah. He is the holy and anointed one of God delivered to this earth to conquer the enemy. He was supremely triumphant. Most people had assumed throughout the years of the prophecies that the Messiah would come in the form of a military leader, a conqueror, one that would, would lead a rebellion. They had pictured a, a, a Jewish uh, a Messiah who would lead this rebellion against Israel's oppressors, which in that day, in the first century A.D., was Rome. 
So they assumed when, when in first century A.D., when they thought about the Messiah, they assumed that someone was going to come and, 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 and lead them to overthrow the Roman tyranny that they lived under. But that's really not what Jesus did. He didn't come and to... Uh, uh, he, he didn't come to, to conquer things that are earthly, but he did live a perfect life. He, he, the, the baby that was born in the manger that day uh, is, is the man, the one who grew up and lived without sin. Scripture tells us that he was tempted in every way, but yet he did not give in. See, they didn't realize that the, the holy anointed Messiah of God was going to come and instead of conquering earthly enemies by physical strength, they didn't realize that it was God's plan for this Messiah, for his Messiah, to conquer the spiritual forces of the enemy of God. And they sure didn't expect him to conquer the, those enemy forces, those spiritual forces of evil, by giving himself over to suffering. And that the Messiah would seize victory by sacrificing himself for our sins. They didn't understand the fullness of what that meant. See, Jesus is our Savior, but he is supremely triumphant over the enemy. He is supremely triumphant over sin. It's because of his, his triumph over sin that we have access to God. First Peter tells us, For Christ also suffered once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. He was supremely triumphant. See, friends, you need to understand something. If Jesus didn't conquer sin by dying on the cross and rising from the grave, then there would be no reason to celebrate his birth. If Jesus was not the one who would supremely, triumphantly conquer sin, by growing up and living a perfect life to be crucified for the sins of the world and yet rise again, rise from the grave, then we would have no reason to celebrate his birth. It is because of what he has done that we are to celebrate his birth and we are to commemorate that as an act of worship unto our God. My favorite Preachers Adrian Rogers once said that we ought to be living as if Jesus died yesterday, rose this morning, and is coming back this afternoon. We ought to live like it's fresh, like it's important, like it, it just happened, like it's real to us. Like we have experienced it. You, you know what that means? That, that means that, that because of his supreme triumph over sin and death, because of that, that should give believers a reason to live for him. See, if Jesus' birth was that important, if he was this savior, if he was triumphant over sin and death, then we should be compelled to live for him in our everyday lives. No matter what we face on this earth, if you are a believer in Christ, then you have to understand through faith in Christ, nothing can deny you access to God. Nothing can keep you from his forgiveness, his love, 
or his inheritance if you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, then why wouldn't you live for Christ? Friends, are you living for him? I mean, is, is, is Jesus at the very center of who you are? I mean, no, I know that you are at church today, and I am praising God for that. There are people all over the world today at church that are they're worshiping God, but the question is not, not did you show up, but are you living for him? Are you, are you driven to serve him? Are you motivate, motivated to, to move your life as he directs? Are you seeking his leadership and his wisdom and his guidance? Because if you're living for him, that's what it means. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It just means that, 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 that God is real to you. It's more than a religion. It, it's, it's more than a way of life. It is at the very center and the very core of who you are. Are you living for him? Because he is the Christ, the holy and anointed one of God who is Savior. And he is supremely triumphant, but also Jesus is sovereign. Luke 2.11 says he is Christ, that, that Savior that's born is Christ the Lord. He is God's holy and anointed one, but he's even more than that. He is Lord. See, Jesus was more than just a good man. Just good, a good man. He was more than a good teacher. He was more than a religious figure. Scripture says that Jesus was born king of the Jews, but he was more than a king. He is the king of kings. He is the one who created the entire universe. He was God in the flesh. John 1 tells us in the beginning was the word, the logos is the word that's being used. We translate it as word, but in the Greek culture, logos was this idea of, of God. They didn't really know how to define it. They had this, this idea that there was certain uh, idea in philosophy in that day of logos. This, this idea that there's a God, there's a supernatural being. We're not really sure how to define who that is and what that looks like, but we know he's there. John says uh, that in the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the Logos was God. It says that he, this Logos, was with God in the beginning, and that all things were created through him, and apart from this Logos, who is God, not one thing was created that has been created. Verse 4 says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men, and that, life, that light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. And just in case you weren't really sure uh, who John was talking about, he sort of zooms it in a little bit more in verse 14. It says, And the Logos became flesh and dwelt the earth among us, and we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from God, full of grace and strength. You see, Jesus is more than a Savior sent from God. He is the God that came to save. That's why he's so significant. He, he's more than just a, a, a leader and a hero. He's more than a teacher. He is the God 
who came to lead. He is the God that came to conquer and supremely triumphant. And, and, and he, was a, he was the God who came to save. You know the, why the birth of Jesus is so special? Why it's the epicenter of how we measure time? Why his birth is still the event that separates BCE and CE history? If you're in school, they've taken the BC out of, you know, before Christ. They took that out because they thought, boy, we don't, we don't like talking about, you know, about Christ. The atheist people and the secular humanists absolutely hated that. And so they changed it to BCE, before Common Era, or today, which, you know, years ago we would say we're in the AD part of history. They call that Common Era. But you know what the measuring stick is? The measuring stick is still the birth of Jesus. And even though they try to take the name of Jesus out, the birth of Jesus is still the, uh, the, at the epicenter of how we measure time. You know why? Because Christmas and the birth of Jesus marks the only time in all of history when God stepped out of heaven, wrapped himself in humanity in order to fix what we broke. You see, see, the earth was marred by sin. It's broken by sin. Well, who brought sin into the world? Humanity did. We did. And yet, God sent Jesus to fix what we broke. Literally, God in the flesh. So when God steps out of heaven, it, it's, it's a big deal. It's a very big deal. And that's why Christmas is so significant. It, it reminds me of that song that, that John Fultz sang a couple weeks ago. One of the verses is, Mary, did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? That the sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. He is the Savior. He is supremely triumphant. And He is sovereign. He is sovereign because He is Lord. But He is also sent. He is the Lord. But yet at the same time, He is sent. If you, if you study Scripture, you become familiar with this term that we call the Trinity. Now, the word Trinity is nowhere in Scripture. But the theological concept of the Trinity is all over Scripture. Let me try to explain it to you just the best I can. Um, throughout Scripture, God has revealed himself as one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's, well, that's one of the first things that a Hebrew child would have had to have learned and memorized. And they would say in their prayers on a daily basis, God is one. Yet, God has also revealed himself throughout Scripture, throughout history in three distinct forms. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A trinity of three persons. Each one distinct from one another, but yet all part of the same supernatural being that we call God. God the Father sent God the Son to the earth. And while God the Son, who is Jesus Christ, was on this earth, He was guided and He was strengthened and He was led by God the Holy Spirit. And I want you to notice in, in, in Luke 2.11, it 
It's the very first thing that it says here in this, in this verse in, in Luke 2.11. It says, for unto you. Unto you. Who, was, who did the announcement come to? For whom was Jesus born? He was born for you. See, the angels brought that message to the shepherds that day. The lowly shepherds out in the field. Listen, they were not, they were common people. They were, they were hard workers. They were just regular everyday people, okay? Out in the fields, they were people that, that didn't get to go to, to the temple and worship very often because they were considered to be um, ceremonially unclean because of uh, their job and keeping the animals. And of course, that job required them to, uh, to be out in the fields constantly. And so uh, they were just everyday folks. They weren't kings. They weren't noblemen, no, nobility. They're just common everyday folks. You know, here's the deal. Jesus came. God sent Jesus for, for the shepherds. He sent Jesus for me. He sent Jesus for you. Unto you a child is born. What an amazing, amazing message. Remember what Luke 19, we already quoted it, but I'm just going to remind you, Luke 19 tells us that Jesus was sent to seek and save the lost. He was sent to seek and to save me and to seek and to save you and to seek and to save any and all who would call upon his name. Most of you probably know John 3.16, for God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only or only begotten as King James says son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life man that is an amazing message man that is a reason to celebrate that is a reason to worship the Christ that was born on that first Christmas day that is that, that is a reason to make a big deal out of Christmas. Why we should celebrate the birth of this baby that was born in a lowly manger some 2019 years ago. See, Jesus is Savior. He is supremely triumphant over sin. Supremely triumphant over death. He is sovereign, literally. He is God in the flesh. The Lord our God come to earth. And he was sent for you and for me. If you never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can do that today. If you're willing to trust in him. But you know, I suspect most of us in here are believers. Most of us in here probably have a testimony of genuine faith in Christ. Well, if you are a believer in Christ, maybe this morning you need to be encouraged to keep trusting him, to live for him. He is a sovereign God with a sovereign plan for your life. We need to worship him this Christmas. He is, he is worthy of our worship. We need to love on him this Christmas. We need to experience him this Christmas. See, the gift of God isn't on the way. Christmas proclaims that God has already come. And just like a, a present under your tree, if you don't experience the gift of Christ this Christmas, 
It's not because he didn't buy you the gift. It's not because he didn't present it to you. It's not because he didn't put your name on it. Because your name is on it. Only because you didn't bother to unwrap it. Let's pray.